I started to look for ways to check out of my life. So for me, that was using alcohol. So at first it was after dinner and we put the baby to bed, let's just have a few drinks. And then he was doing it to unwind and relax. I was doing it to shut the voice up that was saying, this is not enough. And so that went from maybe just on the weekends to maybe six months later. Now it's every night after dinner. And then somewhere along the way, it's while I'm cooking dinner. And then the next thing you know, it's, well, when I put the baby down for a nap, And it suddenly became my most dominant coping skill to quiet the voice that was telling me that what I was living was not enough. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Embryo Podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L is a loss. So sit back, relax, and do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Welcome everybody to another episode of Every L Podcast where we explore with a different guest if what you went through wasn't an L, what was it? Or was it an L? Because let's be honest, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But until you look back and sometimes examine it a little bit closely, you don't actually know what it is. You've got to feel what you're feeling and then look back and realize, can I put the right label to it? And sometimes you look back on it now, it will look one way. You look back at another time, it'll look a different way because life has that weird way of helping you change perspective at any given time. If you cast your mind back or if you've not watched it before, there's a movie called Inside Out where there was a part in it where this girl, the main character, she looked, she had a fond memory and it made her happy. But because of situations changing, she looked back at it and she was sad. It's not a bad thing. It just means that we're growing, we're evolving, we're changing. And that's what we're kind of looking through that. So that's a little plug for Disney movie. Inside out. <laughs> but inside out, inside, who cares? <laughs> but yes. endorsement check. That's all we care about. It's, it's true. Disney, make it happen. Make it happen. So I am, as always, happy. Before I continue, please, if you listen to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please rate it. Please leave a review just so that more people can see it and listen to the amazing stories shared by my amazing guest. But I have another amazing guest. I'm so happy. This lovely young lady I have known for so many years i am so grateful to the internet i'm grateful for just being able to keep connected with her over the time and we've had a chat it wasn't meant to be as long as it was but we had a chat we had a catch up and it was just <laughs> mind-blowing it was just it was refreshing it was just now when you speak to someone and it just feels so effortless and you're thinking where have you been my whole life why why don't i have more of these conversations but I'm so excited for everything she's achieved, everything she's going to achieve. Her got a beautiful daughter, got a fantastic relationship with her daughter. And she's good people. She's just so, such good people. She's eloquent. She's, don't get wrong. She'll tell you about yourself if she needs to, but she, (laughs) the way she just conducts herself with, she's she'll keep it 100 with you. And the spaces she occupies, she does it by being authentically herself. I am so honored and so privileged to have her as a friend and I will claim her as my friend. Yeah. Um, even though she's borderline celebrity status in my mind. 
Uh-oh. I have the amazing Danita, and I would love for you to introduce yourself as you see fit before we go into your L's. Matt, thank you for that intro. I'm going to record and save this podcast just so on my down days, I can listen to all those wonderful things that you said about me. I am Denitra Latrice. I am a motivational speaker. I am a coach. I am a consultant. More importantly, I am a seeker of a unique experience while I move through this earth school in this body that I inhabit now. I am constantly curious always sort of pulling a thread, trying to find the lesson in what we live and hoping to inspire others to do the same as well. Wow. See see how eloquent she is? Makes me look like an amateur. Like I just learned to talk last week. But it's fine. (laughs) Oh, and if you can't tell, she's from the United States of America. That's why she's got that twang. And it probably sounds so natural because when you listen to me, you're thinking, mate, shut up. Listen to the when you listen to the American folks, like you got the Kellys, you got the James, you got Denitrina. You're thinking, yeah, this sounds this sounds right, this sounds proper, <laughs> <laughs> but it's fine, it's fine. I'm not upset by it. So, Denita has been lovely and uh, ever present encouragement to me to always keep me in check with my beautiful family. Not that I do anything wrong, but she just keeps telling me, teach me, tell me to love on them, which I do, which I do. Encouraging, not not encouraging that's what i do yeah she like as she changed the word up there she's like a politician so um she wanted to change up what she was going to talk about in terms of i asked people what's your l she's telling me nothing in life is an l all right cool of course i'm gonna I get believe that, though. i, I I'm not- honestly in my heart i believe that every unless l stands for lesson and unless l stands for levels Unless L stands for love, I don't see any losses. And that's fine. And that's fine. I can actually tell you my my first thought when I was reading about this was around my divorce, which happened about 10 years ago. It was at the time where you and I, I was just newly divorced when you and I first became aware of one another and became friends. Hang on, hang on. That's a little bit seedy there. So just to put it in context, right? It wasn't like that. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're on two different parts of the planet. I promise it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. <laughs> yes, you can see her picture in the thumbnail. I get that. You, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, but no, it was a mutual group called Vader, which is vlog every day in August or April, April at the time and then August. April. And yeah, we we met each other through that and nothing else, people. Why? Yeah, yes, no physical contact just through that, I promise. It's the Lord's work. That's all. But so when we think about the idea of divorce, divorce is generally seen as a loss or a failure or a very negative connotation. And so in going into my divorce, I had to really come against some of those um, labels and some of the stigma that were associated with it. Here was the reality I had been married for 10 years to an amazing man who was a spectacular father to our daughter, who needed out of a relationship things I could not give. And in turn, I needed things from that relationship that I also wasn't receiving. So rather than keep each other together in this marriage, because society tells us till death do you part, I made the decision that the most loving thing to do 
was to leave that marriage. In fact, I remember saying to him, I love you enough to want you to be with someone who lights up when you walk in the room. I can't be that right now, but I love you enough to want that for you. That was another thing that I learned through that L, the idea that love and possession are not the same thing, right? We're still tied into Shakespeare. So I love some so much that I cannot live without them. I can love you real good and never see you again. I promise. I promise, right? I can still yeah. have every good intention for you. I can love you enough to understand that I'm not what's best for you and and then put you in a position so that you can go and find that, right? I I know myself well enough to know and loving myself enough to know the recipe I was given as a young woman. Here's the recipe, y'all. I'm going to tell you, you've heard it before. Not along wherever you're listening to this podcast. It is be nice, go to school, get a degree, get married, buy a house, have kids. That's the recipe. Bake that at 350 degrees Celsius Celsius or Fahrenheit for the rest of your life, and it'll be a happy life, right? The reality of is I started doing that recipe and realized right after the bought the house and had a baby that this wasn't working for me. So do I love myself enough to write a new recipe for me? And it took years for me to get there. This wasn't something where I woke up on Tuesday and said, I'm going to destroy my current life so I can build a new one. It wasn't that at all. And there was alcoholism and there was mental health issues all in that process. But ultimately, the life that I have now is greater than even what I could have imagined for myself when I was just asking the question, what if there is something more for me outside of what I have right now? Wow. And I think that's 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 something a lot of us will probably experience at some point in our life where we ask the question, what if? And there is something I, I like the idea of when I heard it and it's like saying, if you wonder if you deserve better you do you do because if you're in it and you are so invested in it and in it entirely there's no other thoughts beyond that because that is enough for you but if you're suddenly peering over it and thinking is there more is there something else then clearly you've identified there is and that can be very hard to come to terms with especially if like you said you've given your vows you've committed to this individual and all of a sudden you realize ah, oh, mate maybe it isn't as black and white as like that maybe i'm actually allergic to this particular recipe um this is a particular ingredient in this recipe sorry so i'm a celiac now so i need to change up my diet i can't have this in me do you know what's interesting he and i are best friends we talk all the time Literally, when our daughter has an event, we're side by side sitting in the stands rooting for the most important person in both of our lives, right? I have a respect and honor for him. He has a respect and honor for me. When they go on vacation, he sends me pictures of the great things that they're doing as a family, right? So the love looks different, but it didn't go away. It's interesting too, when we start thinking about our lives and what our objective is, my objective was to have a healthy, loving family. I had to release what that looked like on paper in order to achieve my objective. I had to release that that meant mommy and daddy live in one house and everyone goes to bed at 9.30 p.m. and all is well. 
The reality is we have very different lives. And even as my life continues to stretch and grow, for example, I had to be away for business. I think it was last week I was in Austin, Texas. I send him a text message. I need to travel for business. This could be a huge opportunity for the family. He said, great, what days do I need to cover for you? So the partnership that would happen for a mother and father in the house still happens. If you ask my daughter, who's now 15 years old, to tell you about her family, she would say, well, I have one family, but we live in two houses. That's that's literally her experience. We framed that. We were able to rewrite the story she talks about her life. So she doesn't identify as being from a broken home. She identifies as being from a family that has two houses. I love that. So you said that you didn't wake up and suddenly on a Tuesday go, that's it, you know. Where's that grenade I've been hiding hiding for a while? That that wasn't on the that wasn't on the cards for you. At what point and this is up to you if you feel comfortable disclosing, but what point did you feel that was the right decision to make? Not not now, because it's probably given how life is going for you at the moment, it sounds like it's going amazing for you. But at the time when things were not at its best. You can be in a toxic environment. And when I say toxic, I'm not saying it's any one of you that was the instigator for that, but it's just the wrong environment. But when you're in the wrong environment, it's still sort of like, oh, better the devil you know than the one you don't know because, you know, out of the frying pan, into the fire and so forth. What was it that made you feel like, no, there's got to be something else to this? It wasn't that clear initially is a great question. I talk about it a little bit from a corporate perspective on being in a no culture versus a grow culture. I realized pretty early on in the marriage that I was in a no culture, that it, that it was too small for me to grow. I wasn't going to be able to really stretch into my biggest, brightest self within the requirements to maintain that relationship. In fact, I was probably in year two of the 10-year marriage when I realized, oh, crap, what I'm going to do. I I was, at the time, 35 years old and nowhere near passing on into the great beyond. And I thought, excuse my French, well, shit, that's a long time. Death do you part in some place that's too small for me. And what I started to do is I started to look for ways to check out of my life. So for me, that was using alcohol. So at first it was after dinner and we put the baby to bed, let's just have a few drinks. And then he was doing it to unwind and relax. I was doing it to shut the voice up that was saying, this is not enough. And so that went from maybe just on the weekends to maybe six months later. Now it's every night after dinner. And then somewhere along the way, it's while I'm cooking dinner. And then the next thing you know, it's, well, when I put the baby down for a nap, And it suddenly became my most dominant coping skill to quiet the voice that was telling me that what I was living was not enough. I had at that point also started thinking, I'm not going to say suicidal thoughts, even though they were, because they didn't show up as you should kill yourself. That's not what the voice was saying to me. The voice was saying, how much longer do I need to do this? So here, here's a quick note to all your listeners. If you are in anything, any relationship, any job, whatever it may be in your life that is making you evaluate if you want to stay in your life, that thing needs to go. That thing needs to go.
I remember having a conversation with my ex-husband and I said, this life makes me think that God hates me because I'm doing the recipe and it's not working. And he said, well, what are you thinking about doing? And our, our daughter was maybe four or five months. I said, well, I think I should just leave. And he was opposed to getting a divorce at the time. And I said, well, in order to stay, I'm going to have to be drunk like the whole time. And he was like, whatever you need to do, just as long as you stay, I don't really care. And so from that moment, from that conversation until the moment where we finally sat down as adults and said, yeah, we need to get the hell out of this thing because everybody's now doing bad. It was four years. So it wasn't an overnight shift that happened. I also didn't want to leave and abandon him. I wanted to honor his part in the change. Okay, this Tuesday, I really do want to leave, but maybe I should read this book. Should we go to counseling? So it wasn't an easy thing to disengage from that part of my life. But in my heart, I already, I always knew that was true. And so there I am. We make the decision to separate. It's probably the weirdest separation of divorce people you ever want to see. My family had come and moved my stuff out of the house. They're in the driveway waiting to take me to my new apartment. He and I are in the kitchen hugging and crying because that was our dream, right? Our dream when we stood up that day and did those vows was really forever. And so now to come to this intersection where we understand forever looks different than we thought, it was a very painful thing. And I went over to my new apartment where I was staying, start unpacking. And the first thing I do is reach for a drink. Oh, crap. He's not here now. That life that I was in has changed and I'm still dependent on the thing that got me through the last hurdle. What do I do now? And that's really when my discovery journey started. The beautiful thing about being a now 10-year sober alcoholic is... Congratulations. Thank you. Sane and sober, I must constantly do an inventory of what's my part in what's going on in my life, Right. There's a lot of stuff we have no control over. How your parents handled you when you were a child, you're not going to be able to fix that. It's already in the past. Hopefully you can come to some sort of peace with it within yourselves and move forward. But if you don't autopsy your part in situations, you are going to recreate them with new people, places, and things. I promise you that. So my first year as a single lady was not a Beyonce video. It was not. It was me in my house, talking to my higher power, who I call God, about how can I avoid this level of pain again? Like, show me what my stuff was so that this pain turns into profit for me. So it teaches me how to be better on the other side of this. And I really started to understand, one, I'm the one who's writing the recipe for my life. I get to decide, right? As scary and as wonderful as both that that reality is, it was a new idea. Up until then, I had been my parents' daughter. Then I was my employer's employee. Then I was my husband's wife. And now suddenly I'm my own independent being. And how am I going to show up today? And what do I like and what do I feel? Oh, and by the way, the reason why people never really do this is because now if there is an L, I'm responsible for it and I'm accountable for it, right? I have to shift it. 
It's my intention. It's my life. And I have to be in full possession of it with no one to shield me. And a lot of people don't like that part. You mentioned about the the hugging and the crying when your family were on the driveway waiting. Mm-hmm. And I'll ask you this question because this is, my head just jumped to it. And I know it's like till death to us part. But do you think there's potential, the, when you say death to us part, it's not physical death. It could be death of who you guys were at the time, the death of that union, because you're no longer in sync anymore in that environment. Well, I would say this. I would say it was death of the dream that we had, right? So remember who you were as that young person, most of us standing up there in front of all those witnesses pledging. That person had a vision, right? I had to let that vision die in order to build something new, right? And that was a grieving process. That wasn't like, I got my divorce papers. It's the weirdest thing. I see people celebrate divorce and they got they have divorce parties and all this other foolishness. And I'm like, really? Because even though I initiated the process, it was hugely painful. It was my dream dying. So all the stages of grief, the anger, the all of it, right? Yeah. Um. So I don't know... I'm in a unique situation as well in that we're still talking about a man who's my best friend, right? When I want to buy a new car, I call him because he's very analytical. Hey, I, I like the Audi. What are the specs on it? Tell me about the financing. Like we're, we're still best friends. It's what we do. So our relationship didn't die. Even our partnership didn't die. It just changed. It just changed. And I guess as well, so for anyone who doesn't know, there is the grief curve, which tells you the different stages of grief you're meant to go through, or at least people have identified that a lot of us go through when we go through a grieving period. There's also the change curve, which is very similar to the grief curve. And I'm of the understanding, and I'm saying this because with my home dynamics change from two to three mouths to look after, or three mouths to feed, three little people to look after, you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I went through a grieving process. Yes. And I've mentioned this many times before because the life I thought I was going to have was no longer the life I was walking into. As soon as I found out it was two babies in the belly, selfishly, I want all of them. I claim them. I want them. I don't want to hear something happen. No, no, no. I want mom and baby's outcome. We're doing this. But the world I had built up for myself, brick by brick, I can reuse this pram. I can reuse this. I can't reuse stuff. I'm having to demolish willfully this building, this, 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 this empire I was building for my family. And I didn't know what it's going to look like. And I was crying. I was going through all the feels because I was grieving. Yes. It was a change. It was one that I'm excited for, but you can be excited and scared at the same time. It's two sides of the same coin. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily acknowledge that. And if you can't have those conversations yourself, because maybe you're not in the right environment mm-hmm. to be able to have those reflective moments, that, that the time to meditate without being, like you said, your parent's child, your partner's other half, your your parent, your like parents, you're never, never. once you're a parent, that's it. Someone told me that's many years ago, they said, being a parent is like buying a one-way ticket to a desert island. I'm like, why would I do that for? I'm tanned. I'm good. I don't need that. <laughs> but now, obviously, I love my family off. That there's, oh, I, I, 
some of the things they say and some of the stuff they do, I just feel like just put that into a syringe, check in my, in my veins and I'm good. It's just, yeah. it's so beautiful. I love my children so much. I love my family and my wife is my best friend. I'm just so fortunate to be able to go on this journey with her. And I love hearing how you, yes, your relationship didn't survive in the marriage term, but your relationship still survived beyond that. It was just that component, that aspect of it, which is what didn't survive. I want to ask you a question. How did your family feel when you t- told them, guys, got to tell you something. How do they feel about the divorce? Yeah. So I live here in the U.S. We, we're going to talk real for a second. All the time. My ex-husband is white. He's Irish Catholic. I am not. I am African American. Um, my my country is trace. Excuse me. My family is traceable in this country, all the way back to 1851 before I lost record. Right. So in just the history of African Americans in this country, with racism, with the era of slavery, with Jim Crow. So needless to say. For my family, it was more a shock that we were getting married in the first place, not that it didn't work out. I can remember it was quite a big deal when I introduced him to my father because we weren't sure if that was going to be a smooth transition. And my father eventually said to my ex-husband, you know, I don't really see color anymore. I just see love and it's okay. And he was welcomed into the family. I think when I was probably about two years married. My father said to me, I never had an issue with you being in a relationship with a white man. My issue was love is already hard enough. Adding race on top of that, how does that work, right? I do think when my family and I sat down and started talking about the divorce and suddenly they realized, oh, well, it's not about race. Oh, well, it's no, he's not mean to me. No, he's not beating me up. Yeah, we're financially successful and he works very hard. Then they were like, well, explain to us this, what you mean that it it doesn't fit you and you need to be bigger. Like the gender stereotype that they had on wife was larger than one they may have had across the boundaries of race, if you will. My mother, who passed away when I was 16 years old, was an amazing gospel singer. She and her sisters used to sing gospel music and tour churches in the area here where I live. And I remember sitting on the side of her bed in her final days as she was passing away and thinking to myself, I wonder what she would have been if not for us. So at 15, 16 years old, I was already very clear that in the role of wife, she had to make herself smaller to care for us. So now fast forward, here I was all those years later, taking a different path than the one she chose to take. So for them, they were like, oh, well, someone must be cheating. I'm like, yeah, no, no one's cheating. (laughs) It's fine. You know, even my family dropped me off at my apartment. It was December 31st, which happens to be my birthday. And um, the next morning, January 1st, my then still husband came with my daughter and we all had breakfast to welcome our daughter to the new, her new second home. So yeah, I think the family was more like, what's wrong with you, Denitra, than they were what happened in the marriage. Wow. Did that, was that a surprise to you? 
No, because I, I was well aware that in my family, patriarchy is primary regardless of race. So for example, my father used to give me advice when we were engaged. Whatever he likes, you need to take an interest in. Really? Yeah, if he likes baseball, you need to learn about baseball so that you can be a true companion to him. I said, well, he's not learning about rap music for me. So so I always knew that my family's ideals were antiquated based on what I believed, and I wasn't going to be able to fit in that space. I am the dark horse in the family for sure. Given the fact that your mom unfortunately passed at such an early time in your life, and it sounds like your dad then became the primary carer raising you, and obviously saying such things because he truly believed this was the norm. Yes. Did you feel like an outsider having these contrary thoughts to what your dad's trying to promote? I have always felt that way. I remember I was nine years old. I had a crush on a kid in my neighborhood because he had a swing set in his backyard. Understand this. Oh, wow. He was prime boyfriend material with a swing set, nine years old. That was the focus. That was a vision. And I had just come from playing on the swing set. And my father said to me, um, you know, if you marry someone outside of the race, we disown you. And I was like, great. And walked in the house, right? Wow. <laughs> that, that, that seemed like a benefit to me, not, not you're shunning me. I'm like, can't wait to get married, you know? So I always knew that I didn't fit within the, the premise or sort of this, those rigid structure of what my family held as right and true. And it's not that what they believe is a bad thing. It works for them. They're traditionalist. It just didn't work for me. And I, I stopped a very long time ago trying to be governed by their standard. The side effect of that was I can remember being there when my mother transitioned and thinking, okay, now I'm an orphan because the one person that afforded me grace to be different has gone. And so even though my father was still alive and my aunts and uncles were still present and I have siblings, I still knew at that moment that it was me, that there was something about me that was different. And so I identified that as being orphaned at that time. Really? Yeah. That hurts. Um, Really sorry to hear. When you were going through your alcoholic stage Mm -hmm. and just trying to cope with quieting the voice in your head I'm not saying you hit rock bottom but I'm saying you probably just was coming to a head you was just getting there if you could roll the clock back and I'm not talking about changing things in the past that would then change the future today I'm not saying that at all I'm just saying if you had an opportunity to talk to your younger self to try and help you make sense of all that was going on what would you have told yourself to help you navigate that situation a little bit better. I do believe addiction is genetic. So I think it would have showed up in some way just because of my my gene soup, if you will. But what I discovered in getting sober, in doing the work to get sober, is when I looked at the traumatic experience that happened to me from zero to 16 years old, and then I looked from 16 until I was at that point 38 when I came into recovery. What I noticed is, and and my sponsor was amazing in that she made me do the work about when I was a child as well. 
what I noticed is I was recreating childhood trauma in my present day relationships. So if I could have said anything to that young girl, 16 years old, standing there waiting for them to come take her mother's body out of the room, I would say, find a therapist immediately and do this work. If you don't, you're going to recreate it in your adult life. We recreate it until we can see it and change it, right? So anything we're not examining, any wound, any hurt that we're not examining and making different decisions around, we'll recreate them because they seem at a molecular level very familiar, right? I remember I was, as I mentioned before, I was a stay-at-home mom. My daughter was two. I was home with her until she was five years old. I'm folding laundry. It's the middle of the day. Her father is out at work. She was playing with her Legos or whatever. She was doing her little industrious two-year-old self. And I was sitting on the couch folding laundry with tears coming down my eyes. I was trying not to be vocal about crying, but I was so depressed that I was just crying, tears coming down. And she looks over at me and she walks over and she puts her hand on my knee and she says, oh, mommy, my daddy makes you so sad. He's not in the building. He's not in the building, but somehow my two-year-old could identify this relationship that you're in. Believe it or not, so much of what I learned at that point where I said it, it's enough, we have to do something different, was based on her. I was literally watching small Denitra relive this these same events, but in her body now. Wow. Yeah, it was very interesting. It's, I think it's just case in point that even though we feel like we're putting on a good show for our family, those that really care really see yes. what's really going on. And it's nice that your daughter is definitely like you and shared what she's that told you what she saw. And that's powerful. Here's a full circle moment. I can remember my, my father was the alcoholic in his relationship with my mother. I remember coming home from school, having been told by a friend about what a divorce was. I was eight years old. It was third grade. I came home. Hey, mommy, did you know you could get a divorce? Right. So full circle moment. I I just assumed my mother didn't know she could leave. (laughs) Wow. This is why you sent me to school so I can learn this stuff and help you. (laughs) I'm learning stuff. You didn't know there's benefits. Moreover, I get two Christmases. We should check into this. I'm not saying pick now. Just saying. There's benefits for both of us in this. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's funny. Oh, gosh. But, you know, you don't know what you don't know. At the time, you didn't understand, read the room, read the situation. You just went blah, 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 because that's what it is. But I've, I've always held that place that the simplest thing to do is tell the truth, right? So even eight-year-old me was like, just need to tell you this truth. Then we'll just all be better. Thank you. Good night. Oh, gosh. So in that situation, and I know you said nothing's a loss. Yes. But that's not an L. What are you calling that? Don't have to start with the L. It can be anything you want. But what was that? What did that situation, what did that series of circumstances, what did you gain from it? The situation with my childhood, I really learned levels of my strength if I'm going for an L. I'm going to say levels, right? Sometimes we think that we're strong. Sometimes we hope that we're we're resilient, but I can point to evidence in my life to prove to you that I am both those things. 
moreover, when I'm teaching or helping people to define their own truth, I can say it works because it worked for me and we're really essentially no different, right? So I take those levels and that learning and that becomes a win for me. One of the reasons why you can't shake me about me now, like there's nothing you can tell me about me that I don't already know because I've learned me. So many times, as I mentioned, if I had continued that course of living someone else's recipe, then I would know my representative, but would I know me? Would I know what I like and what I love, what I will tolerate and what I won't tolerate? So so it's the learnings of it. It's a huge win. It's a huge win. Like I said, you can't tell me nothing about me. I got me. I promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> and what would you, what would you say is a reason for you being able to be as confident as you are right now? Would you say therapy had that much of a positive impact on yourself? Would you say it's just through having time meditate? Would you say your faith plays a contributing factor towards it? Like what, what makes you so empowered within your own skin, within your own personality that you can just walk into a room and just be you unapologetically? Because I tried the alternative, right? I tried low self-esteem that didn't work. That made me depressed, right? I tried letting other people define who and what I was, and that didn't work because that was always too small. So I decided to use the same level of energy that I normally use to trust other people's opinion about me and started trusting my own opinion about me. The other thing is that in sobriety, I came into relationship with my higher power, whom I call God, in a different way than ever before. And I was raised in a church. I don't know if this is true where you are, Matt, but in the U.S., Black church is serious business, right? Everybody's going to hell but the Black church, according to them, right? But they also left me with this idea of a higher power that was sitting up on some throne in heaven with an abacus counting the number of times that I failed and messed up and screwed up who would ultimately at some point stand before, uh, I would stand before them and he would decide if I was going to go to hell for the stuff that he knew I was going to do before I was even born. Yeah. Weird to me, right? So in sobriety, when I started really thinking about what I would think a loving higher power would be, I actually referenced a lot of my relationship with my daughter. What if the same way that I want every good thing for my child, my higher power wants every good thing for me? Whoa, every good thing? Really? Wow, that's pretty powerful. What if instead of passively standing by, my higher power is actively rooting for my success? Ooh, you got my back? That's powerful, right? Maya Angelou says it way more articulate, and I'm going to butcher the quote, but she says, who can stand against me when God and I together form the majority, right? So suddenly nothing is impossible. Nothing. Might be impractical, might be improbable. Like I'm probably not going to be an astronaut because I don't want to, but anything I want to be, why can't I have it? And getting really, really curious about who I am as a person. Therapy was a, was a tool. My recovery group was a tool, but it really always came back to me exploring me. 
What makes my heart race with excitement? What brings me joy? What um, do I believe to be true about me? I know that I'm a visionary. I don't shrink from that anymore. I know that I am called to help people design the life that they believe they should have. I don't shrink from that anymore. And I also know through several learning periods in my life that I can survive on macaroni and cheese three times a day. I've done it. Mm -hmm. Sure did. I know I have gone from when I moved out of my ex-husband's house, the house we shared together, I said, I don't want anything from you because I was prideful and I had a big ego. And so I moved in the new apartment. We had a bed for my daughter there and I slept on the floor until I could afford to buy a bed for myself. If you can rock out sleeping on the floor, get up, get dressed and move your career forward so you can save enough money to buy a bed, why wouldn't I trust me? I brought myself through everything that I've lived through up until this point. So why wouldn't I trust me? Why wouldn't you trust you? The only person who's been there every day and showed up for you is you. That's the learning that you you should really get a hold of. That that one will take you far. So eloquently said, I I agree with so much of what you said there. It's very interesting. It's I've said it, you know, and I think it's probably someone else I might have heard it on a podcast, probably my one, of course. I listen to my own podcast. Um when I edit it, people, I'm not trying to get no numbers up any different way. Um, <laughs> but it's, it is, it's true. Very much people look in the mirror and they see a reflection rather than see the person, see the individual, because you are never going to change. I've got a big thing about birthdays. I love people celebrating their birthdays. Oh, I can't wait. You know, oh, I stopped counting. I don't like birthdays. And bear in mind, I lost my, one of my cousins who hung himself at age of 21, left two young children behind at the time. And for me, it's like when people are saying, oh, I don't like my birthday. Don't get wrong. You have your reason for why you don't like birthdays. It's sound. But if it is superficial, I'm always of the opinion when I just say to people, whether whether they tell me it's superficial or not, I just say, celebrate life. Because X amount of years ago, people were grateful for your existence here on this earth when you were born. Yeah. And there are so many people that wish they could still be here to celebrate another birthday. But by one reason or another, sometimes out of their control and sometimes in their control, they are not here. Mm -hmm. So please just celebrate life. Oh, I hate Mondays. Please. I treat Mondays that I do every other day of the week because I haven't got time to discriminate like that (laughs) because once that Monday's gone, I ain't getting that back and I'm not going to forfeit a day with my family or a number of days over a course of what? At least 52 Mondays of a year. For what? Just because it's a Monday. Then I'm in the wrong job if I'm feeling that way. I need to, you can't put a filter on life but you can change your mentality. And that is how I try to develop it. And I try to help people to have that way. And this podcast is a bit of a vehicle to help people to not listen to me, although I do sound really good. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. But I think I have amazing guests who are, for me, very, I think they're, I think, I think you guys are incredible. I think you guys are super fantastic. However, you are very normal people and I say normal I'm talking about not the normal that TV promotes or, or Instagram promotes or anything I'm talking about the ones that are beautifully broken mm-hmm. who are only standing strong today because of the things you've been through and you're open and honest enough to discuss those things to actually say I'm facing my truth my truth is I was not okay and this is my journey this is what I recall this is what I'll tell my younger self would I listen to myself I don't know you tell me, but this is what I would say. I just love that about it. I will actually ask that. 
when you said what you said and you said to your younger self, do you think you would have listened to yourself? Do you think you would have taken heed to the wise words? So I'll say this, right? Knowing myself, I'm, I'm looking back at 20 something year old D. I heard what wise people told me. There was a woman in a grocery store. I was 20 something years old. She was there with her adult daughter. She was an older woman. And she turned around and she saw me and she goes, Oh my goodness, little Italian lady. I'm five, four. So she was littler than me. And she came over to me in the grocery store and it was right at the checkout counter. So the uh, cashier is there. And she said, do you mind if I hold both your hands? And I said, sure. So I put, she said, do you know how special you are? Do you know what you're here to do? You have to tell them even if they won't listen. I remember I'm getting goosebumps remembering it. And her adult daughter was, of course, mortified. Mom, please let go of the lady that you don't know. And the cat. <laughs> and I remember looking at her daughter and going, no, she's right. She's telling me the truth. I identify with it. I know what she means. Right. But I still tried to follow the recipe. I'm going to put that away. Yeah, yeah. I know I'm special and unique and different in this way because we all have a in this way where we are special and unique. So I would have listened and it would have done my heart good to know I was seen, but I don't know if I would have operated under the wisdom. So what would have been the best way to get that message across to the younger D? Show me by living it yourself. Snap. All of what I do now, my daughter has a front row seat in it. I'm showing her whether it is, hey, honey, I just did this LinkedIn live or, hey, babe, I have to fly to Austin to speak to this group of women. And here are the women that I'm speaking to. And here is the benefit of that. And here's how it impacts our life. Or even the house that I'm sitting in right now, I bought in 2019. And part of it was just to show my daughter that you don't have to be in a partnership to buy real estate. And sat her down and told her, do you like your room and all the stuff you do when you buy a house? And then spoke to her principles about the quickest way in America to acquire wealth is to acquire property, right? So don't just tell it to young Denitra. Show young Denitra. Show her that it can be done. And I think that's a lot of things that we neglect to do. I, I often tell people when I worked in finance, I'd always say, do this, do that. But oh, it's easy. Blah, blah, blah. I said, but you do it for your kids. So why you do it for yourself? Do you not love yourself as much as you love them? Yeah, but if, you know, it's them. And it's like, yeah, but if you don't look after yourself, you don't even be able to do that for so long. But if you look after yourself, you're a step for as long as humanly possible because you gave yourself every opportunity to last as long as you could. Oh, yeah, that's what you mean. You make an interesting point, And it was something that I was thinking of earlier, right? On what shifted in my life. When I was working with my therapist and I worked with her for 12 years, we just actually stopped this year because it became like girlfriend conversations. Like, hey, girl, how you doing? <laughs> right? We were, we were past. Give my money back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Girl, just come over and get something to eat and stop charging me, right? Just stop <laughs> it. So, um. One of the things that she called out to me is she said, the way that you're speaking to yourself about yourself, you would never speak to your child that way. Mm -hmm. 
So when you get into situations that have you perplexed or are, are holding you up and you're just kind of stuck in that space, what would you tell your daughter? Now say that to yourself. Yeah. Right. It's so often for us to do well for the people that most have our heart. It troubles me that when we're listing off those that most have our heart, we never name ourselves. We suddenly no longer exist. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you what happens then, Matt, right? What we do in, in loving traditionally the way that we, we have been taught to love is we completely forget that we exist as a human being and we externally push all our love and dedication. And then we're hoping through telepathy or osmosis, I'm not sure how the information is exchanged, you're assuming that the other person in your relationship is doing the same towards you, right? So then what happens when they don't? Right. If my kid it goes off to college and forgets to call me on Mother's Day, do I have to want to take my life because I'm I'm now questioning my value as a mother just because she didn't buy me a card last year? No, I I've already evaluated myself as a mother. I'm doing pretty well with what I'm working with. Right. My kid's an amazing human being. So thumbs up to me on that. I don't need external validation for that. You know your worst. I've already given me a, a, an A on my report card in that space. That I love that. See, okay, people, if you think I am always upbeat and always jolly and always, don't get me wrong, I have my low points. Unfortunately, my wife has to feel the brunt of that and that's just me shutting up and not saying anything and just having a bit of a detox of thoughts. So I love you, honey, but you know you get it and I'm sorry. <laughs> But Denitra is, this is why like, we haven't spoken at length for a very long time, but we do touch base quite frequently, I'd like to think, especially given the distance we live at. Mm-hmm. But people, you can see why I'm so happy that I got to reconnect with her. And let's let's make no bones about it. I did ask for a while ago to be a guest. And she said, no, she rejected me. I didn't say no. I didn't say anything. Uh, no and nothing is not the same thing. Man. Come on now. If, if a guy, uh, uh, let me just stress, I was not asking her out. But if a guy was to ask a woman out or another person out, whatever, right? And it was like, ah, oh, do you want to get a drink? And it was just silence. That's not a yes. <laughs> I was evaluating the right season. I was evaluating the right season. She's lying. She was checking my other episodes to see what it was really like. <laughs> you know what actually happened? I wanted to make sure I understand that my voice is an instrument. I don't want to throw it into the wind for no reason. So I wanted to make sure that when I came and talked to your audience and spent some time speaking with you, that I was adding value to their lives. I didn't want to take this thing lightly. So that wasn't a you thing at all. That was really me be, trying to be very deliberate. And also fighting back that ego thing. Like, yeah, he wants me on the podcast. Get it, D. Right. I, I wanted to fight that a little bit too, to make sure I really show up in service of others and not just my ego. And I appreciate that. And to be honest, you're worth the wait. I've, I, I've got no shame in admitting that. Um, I play too much. That's my problem. However, <laughs> I am grateful. I again this is an idea that's been cooking for a while decide to run with it because it's a birthday present to myself i thought right let me just run it don't know how i'm going to maintain it but we're going to happen i've even said before that like i do all the promo i do all of the stuff around this the only thing that the only people that help me outside of myself producing this is my guest but the only person i would honestly say if it wasn't for them 
I wouldn't be to position my wife. Yes. If my wife wasn't help, holding it down with childcare, doing what she does to allow me the space to be able to do this because it doesn't just benefit me, it benefits the listeners. I'm so grateful to her. And I will say to anybody that can find, it doesn't have to be a, a, a relationship where it's physical like that. It just needs to be the right environment, the right support network around you. Because that phrase says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. But you need to make sure it's the right people you're going together with. I'll take this moment and give her a shout out for always supporting you in whatever creative endeavor you were in, whether it was seven years ago with the YouTube channels that we were trying to start out and figure out how to get what we needed to say to the world out into the ether. Or if it is this, she has been a huge help. The other thing is I don't want to give anyone the impression that me out here solo without a partner being a maverick is the way to go. It's not. It's not. It's twice as hard. In fact, I just hired a cleaning lady so that I have time to do the lawn and other stuff. So doing it solo is not the easy route. I know that's what they tell you on television. It's a lie. I'm here to clear it up. <laughs> and again, this, folks, is why I like the podcast, because it's dispelling the myths, because we watch, we see Instagram, right? And it shows us people in Dubai. It shows people that look slim and thin, and it's all lies. They don't look like that. Real people don't look that. We could all eat the exact same food for the rest of our lives and we all look different. So don't get fixated on things that's not you. You're not running the same race as other people. Just run your race. And I love the fact that it doesn't have to be me saying this. You're hearing it from someone else. You're hearing from someone who in the terms of society is highly successful, even more so because she's a black woman. She's smashing these glass ceilings and she's successful at it. But she's even telling you, I can't do all this to my old. I've still got the same amount of hours you've got, but it's just me one that's got to deal with it. And I still got to be a mom. I'm still doing this. I'm still doing that. I need help. And that's not a bad thing. And I just love the honesty there. I'm going to ask you for the next two minutes to plug yourself selfishly, what you got going on, where people can find you. Oh my goodness. This is actually probably the hardest thing for me to talk about. I instantly go into this thing where I want to giggle, believe it or not. So she's blushing, I am... folks. She is blushing. <laughs> and it's hard for a black woman to blush, but you just did it just right now. You caught it. <laughs> so as mentioned before, I am Denitra Latrice. I am a keynote motivational speaker. I am a coach. I am a consultant. I'm currently accepting one-on-one coaching clients. I'm also open to, um, I produced a product called Culture is Key, helping corporations to develop a culture that keeps employees engaged. I have that verse both virtual and in person that I offer. My website is dlatrice or D-E-L-E-T-R- ICE.com. You can go right in and discover, uh, schedule a discovery call with me. You can also see some of the other services that I talk about. For example, if your employer wants to know more about how addiction shows in the workplace, I do some work in that space as well. On Instagram, you'll find me at DE underscore Latrice. On LinkedIn, it is Denitra Latrice. On Twitter, I'm not really over there right now, though it's kind of crazy. It's also at Delatrice. Fantastic. And all the details will be in the show notes. So, folks, I know you heard, you loved what you heard it's because she's an amazing individual. People, go check her out. 
I'm just grateful. I honestly am. I'm so humble to have you in my life in any capacity, but to have the ability to reach out and just connect like this is just, I can't understate how grateful I am to it. So thank you very much for being on here. Guests, thank you very much for listening. It was a very different version, but do you know what the conversation we had beforehand, I, I wasn't going to rob myself of that conversation. I'm sorry. I wasn't going to know, but she's a very positive person. So realistically, I think this conversation went the way it needed to go. And I hope you got something from it. Please don't only just rate this episode. If you enjoyed it, please reach out to her and let her know, reach out and let me know how you enjoyed it, what you got from it, because she's such an amazing individual and yeah, she's got gems for days. She, she'll share you stuff. She's not, she's not selfish with it. She'll, she'll share it. So. I would love that. Reach out to me and tell me if something that I said struck a nerve and has you thinking about life in a different way, that feeds my spirit. So please do reach out to me and let me know. I would love to hear from you. There we go. See, folks, thank you very much. I hope this tells you that you're not alone in whatever you're going through. We all go through things. It's just no different to like when you're driving down the street and you see other people. Yes, we should all know how to drive and follow the rules of the road. But things are happening beyond what you can see. And yes, someone might look like they're, they've got it all together because they're driving an Audi. But you don't know what the repayments are looking like and how you know, it's crippling their finances. Yeah. Someone else might be driving a Punta or some really old, decrepit car. But they might have a mansion and they just can't find a, afford a plush car because something's got to give, right? But ultimately, we are all going through what we're going through. We're navigating life as best we can. My current headspace says we are all building a bridge as we're actively walking on it. Yeah. We haven't got the time to have an architect involved or get a building surveyor involved. And if we do, we can plan it, but it doesn't necessarily um, plan it that way. So sometimes we have to walk by faith and do it. And you will have those people from a distance saying, oh, but it's all right for you because you're over there. But they don't know how many times you've been bricking it while you've had to take a step of faith and you're using whatever you can to get those plank of woods stuck to the wall. It could be a nail. It could be glue. It could be pricks. It could be chewing gum. You're just using whatever you have to hand because you know you've got to get somewhere and you're going to get there by hook or by crook. And I will commend you for any struggles you've had that you've overcome and you survived till today, hats off to you. Congratulations. Keep doing what you're doing. And I promise you, you've overcome every worst day so far in your life and you'll continue to do so. So do not back down. Do not give up. And sometimes if you're in an environment that you don't feel like you can grow in, you just need to remove yourself from it. Be kind to yourself. Can I say one thing, Matt? Please. Listeners, if you take nothing away from anything else that I've said to you, I want you to listen to this portion and hear it in your spirit every time you get discouraged. It is in you to win. It's already there. You just have to tap into it. There we go. Can't beat that. Guys, girls, have you identified? I'll catch you in the next one. See you later. Every hour,